Why is it we sometimes buy into beliefs that limit us personally and professionally? And do we even know we're doing that as women leaders? Today I'm speaking with Jill Flynn of Flynn Heath Holt, co-author of the book Break Your Own Rules, about how we can flip some of those patterns of thinking that don't work for us anymore and master six practices to help better navigate our leadership world. Hi, this is Penny DeVolk. Welcome to Grit in the Oyster, a conversation about how we navigate our careers, our organizations, our lives as women leaders. Exploring its challenges, learning from others, sharing best practice, an opportunity to step out of the fray for a bit, to help you tune out some of the noise and tune into being the best leader you can be. So today I'm speaking to Jill Flynn, founding partner at Flynn Heath Holt Leadership. Their business is developing women leaders and transforming corporate culture. Jill was previously Senior Vice President at First Union Bank and has co-authored two important books with her colleagues, Catherine Heath and Mary Davis Holt. The Influence Effect, A New Path to Power for Women Leaders, and Break Your Own Rules, How to Change the Patterns of Thinking that Block Women's Path. That's what we're going to be discussing today. Welcome, Jill. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here this morning, Penny. Yeah, it's great to meet you. Now, um, I'm wondering, Jill, if we could kick off with your telling me your story and how the book came about. Um, just a little background. I had, both Catherine Heath and I had been um, in corporate America doing a variety of things in human resources, mostly around leadership development for uh, quite a while. We both uh, left banking. We were very good friends and colleagues and formed our firm, Flynn Heath Holt, in uh, 2001. Um, early on, we figured out that, that what we wanted to do was work with corporations to help develop and promote their women mm -hmm. leaders. So we did that for a number of years, coaching and training uh, cohorts of women that would be uh, identified by the client. Love, love, love the work. And after a number of years, um, we began to notice real strong patterns of behavior. And what we helped the women focus on was in the, in the training and the coaching was how do we as women get in our own way in our careers? And there, and as it turns out, there were a number of ways that we noticed that, that, that this happened. So we talked about it and, and we really wanted to get the message out to a broader audience. So we, we got a book, uh, we actually got a, a book proposal together and had it accepted by Josie Bass, and we're excited about that. And one of the things that was in our mind was that um, we sell our services to corporations and, and huge professional services organizations. Uh -huh. But we've often had individual women who wanted uh, coaching or training, and we just don't sell to individual women. Yeah. And we thought, well, writing a book will be a way to get the out. So that's what we did. And we wrote the book and it was published in um, 2011. Mm -hmm. And we were thrilled with the success of the book. It became a bestseller and we got lots of invitations to make speeches and do conferences and do yep. keynotes and that kind of thing. So we feel like it has, has worked. We've gotten the message out. Lots of women have responded. So we're no, excited and about it. The, the issues are definitely evergreen, as we should say. Um, and yes. the, the big issue, um, you know, your book is based on old rules and new rules. Maybe if I could ask you, why is it important for women leaders in particular to break old rules? Well, 
um, because the the huge companies, uh, in fact, most businesses, not just the huge companies in America, are still led by men, and the top leadership is men. Our vision, long-term vision, is to have enough women ready so that women can make up a minimum of 30% of the leadership of the businesses in America. Yeah. And that's a big that's a big step because right now we're probably only make up 15, 16%. So it's doubling our representation in the top leadership positions, not just CEO or president, but all of the key top leadership positions. Okay. Until that happens, we don't think that companies are going to be as women friendly. We think that when more women are in the top positions, the conversations will be different, different um, priorities will come uh, on the agenda. Women make decisions in a different way. They, we add uh, a certain special sauce to the, the mix of leadership. In fact, there's been research, Penny, about um, leadership teams, a lot of good research, but for example, the, the joke is that if Lehman Brothers had been Lehman Brothers and Sisters back in 2008, it probably would not have gone down. It'd probably still be around today. When more women are part of the leadership team, there are better decisions made about risk, better decisions made about employees, and those kinds of things. So that's that's part of your uh, purpose, is to really make that 100% shift in women's representation. Um, let's talk about yes. some of the old, some of the old rules, Jill, include focusing on others, seeking approval, being modest, working harder, playing it safe, and it's all or nothing thinking. How do these old rules that may have served women well in their careers actually push them off the path to success? That's a great question, and it's the heart of why we wrote the book. What we realized is that, number one, women are a minority still in business, and the other big thing is that we are socialized really differently. Just growing up, we're socialized. Not only are we different in our DNA, our bodies, and all kinds of things, our brains are different, but our socialization is very different. For example, um, women still are taught to wait to be asked. We need to wait for somebody to ask us on a date, to invite us to a party, to um, you know, to get married, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So our tendency is to wait and wait to be asked in our careers. But the way that works against us, and this is just one example, there are lots of examples, but the way that works against us is that, for example, we do a lot of work with um, um, professional services where people go up through the ranks and learn to you know, get to be a partner and all that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Well, women are not telling anybody that they want to be a partner. So as a part, you know, they can be overlooked. So their male peers are, are letting the higher ups know that yes, I'm on I'm on a career and I want to be a partner. So women feel we, we feel really odd going on record about things that we want, and it's hard for us. And and there's a double standard. We have to do it in a different kind of way, but it's really important that we are savvy and strategic and about our careers and our next steps. What we find is that women often. Um, just settle. We settle into some sort of a middle middling position, which is okay. But then our male peers that are no smarter or more capable than we are uh, continue on and in, end up running the place, and they're mm -hmm. still in our middle level position. So um, that's 
that's why we need to understand and have some self-awareness about how we can do things slightly differently in a business environment. Okay. Let's take a couple of the old rules. Um, things that intuitively feel like the right thing to do, like focusing on others. Um, the old rules say, take care of everyone. Uh, my needs come last. It's not easy to ask for help. I'm a great number two. I hear that a lot. Uh, maybe I don't belong on center stage. What's going on here for women? Well, again, it's part of who we are. I mean, it's one of the best things about us as women that we are caring, we're collaborative, uh, we seek harmony, we create harmonious environments around us, and that includes in the workplace. So it's a it's an overused strength. Let me just give you several examples. But one example is many times we volunteer to do things like, oh, I'll organize the Christmas party or I'll organize the volunteer day. And I'll, nothing wrong with that at all. But it begin, if you do a lot of that, it begins to get you labeled as the caretaker. And it takes your time. Yeah, it takes your time. And um, so another thing that we do and this was interesting research that we just read, um, that there were some academics, they did, somebody did a study on economists and their research. And it turns out that a lot of women economists who do research in collaboration with male economists publish their work and they are okay with having their name listed second. You know, that, who cares? I don't care if my name is first, I'm not gonna push that. That means you can understand that. Well. When it came time for promotions and awards, the um, powers that be figured out that, or thought that the, the male economist really was the lead researcher. So the male economists have started getting more uh, credibility and recognition uh -huh. when, when in actuality there was a uh, collaboration there. So it's just, it's subtle little things that we do um, that's one part of it. The other thing is, and we've seen quite a bit of this, the other thing is we can just do this to our own detriment. Women are the first to care about others' needs and take care of things, and then we don't put ourselves on the agenda. So we overwork. We work way more than our male peers because we're doing all the stuff at home, all the stuff in the community, and then all the stuff at the workplace. And we've had a number of our women just burn out. You know, that's how it can lead you to saying, this is not worth it. This is crazy. What am I doing? Yeah, it's just too hard. And so people sort of giving up, which we don't want. Okay, so if focusing on others uh, is an old rule, what, what's the new rule? Well, the new rule is take center stage. And it doesn't mean to be egotistical or narcissistic. What we really tell women is you have got to put yourself in the driver's seat for your career. Otherwise, you will let your career happen to you. And it may or may not work out the way you had in mind. So it, it's being strategic. It's taking time to think about what is it I really want, what's working for me, what's not working for me. Um, we do a lot of work for example, with the professional services firm, I was just, that's where I just was um, last couple of days mm. with a cohort of women that were coaching and training there. And they have to work up the chain to become partners. And yet what happens so often is they let themselves be put on, have a client load that isn't as um, sexy or appealing or big 
Yeah. They let the people above them assign them work and they, you know, and they work really, really hard, but it's not over years. It won't be work that's strategic for the organization so that uh -huh. they then are not positioned as well to be, to be seen as partner material. So it's very, very subtle. The other thing that goes along with this is that it's really hard, really hard for women to um, let people know what we've done, what we've what our accomplishments have been. That's part of this taking center stage. Yeah. Um, at, we were just yesterday training women how to talk about yourself in a way that is natural and conversational and yet memorable. How do you let know some things. These these particular women in the group yesterday were just getting started in developing business for their firm. Uh-huh. And they're not experts at it. They're not you know, totally great at it, but they're doing things. And their tendency is, well, I don't want to say anything about what I'm doing because I haven't mastered it yet. Well, that's crazy. You've got to let people know I'm out in the marketplace. I'm, I'm broadening my network. I've just had uh, experience meeting various people. I've gotten chosen to be on a board for uh, a community board. Uh, women are just very reluctant to let others know what kinds of activities they're involved in, what kinds of accomplishments right. they've had. So how can women practice so, taking center stage, Jill? How can they get some practice? And they, well, they, <laughs> they, we have to practice because yeah. it's so hard yeah, um, but what we do is we get, we get them to role play and we videotape them and you, and you can do that yourself. You can tell yourself, okay, I like, like, in fact, this woman that I ran into yesterday um, when we were in um, Austin, Texas, she had, I had coached her years ago and she was there and looked me up and she had been chosen or she was new in Austin. She'd only been in Austin two and a half years. She had done a lot of meeting people and just networking. And she had just been asked to be one of 100 people, 100 community and business leaders to attend a two-day conference that's going to be held in January. Very prestigious. She was talking to me and she said, I just don't know how to tell my boss that I've been chosen for this because he's never been invited to do it. And I laughed and I said, well, you'll find a way. You can just be, you know, do it in a very natural um, update kind of uh, thing. Don't make it a big formal presentation about it. Don't make him feel bad about it. Just um, just bring it up in a, in a casual conversation. Uh -huh. And that's hard for women because we tend to prefer formality for some reason. We're in business. We like formal meetings, formal presentations. Um, we like to have our little list and go down our agenda items. And there's nothing wrong with that, but there's a big place that we don't play very much and that's the informal. Mm -hmm. Let me just have relationships, conversations in the hall, let me grab you for a cup of coffee for 20 minutes. We don't do enough of that. Okay. What about the old rule of seeking approval, Jill? Oh gosh, that one's hard for us. Hard, hard, hard. We don't like anybody to feel uncomfortable. Mm. And we will go out of our way to make sure everyone feels comfortable and feels heard, all those th things. And, and that's great. So we don't want to change that. However, and I'll just give you an example. Uh, another woman that, that I coached, she is a, an MD. She, she's in a healthcare, big healthcare system. She's a, a 
a doctor. She's a senior vice president. She's a senior person. She um, has known the CEO for ages. He, he thinks she's fabulous. She called me and she said, I need your help. She said, I want to talk to Carl, the CEO, about, you know, this number one, number two, number three, number four items. And I want to talk to him about my salary. Yeah. And I said, now, okay, let's, uh, let me just ask you, is it really your, about your salary? I mean, are you feeling underpaid? Because that, that's another issue, for, real common issue. And she said, yeah, she said, I, I'm, I know I am. I know I'm way underpaid compared to my male peers. And I said, well, first of all, you're going to go talk to him about your salary. Don't do those other four things because you'll never get to you to the talk about you'll run out of time. Plus, he won't see it coming. So you need to give him a little bit of a, uh, you know, tell him I'm, I'm going to meet you and I want to talk about a couple of career issues or something that's real important to me or something. Signal him what you're wanting to talk about yeah and then we uh, talked about how she could do that she said well he's gonna I don't want to put him on the spot and see that's the thing where we are so reluctant to make anybody feel uncomfortable and I said well look he's the, mm -hmm. he's the CEO he, he deals with hard things all the time this is not really that hard what you've got to do is just make your ask and then be quiet let him feel uncomfortable if that's what he's gonna um, and she did it, and she said it was the hardest thing she's ever done because she kept wanting to say, well, you know, actually, it, it, I know things are busy, and I know you probably don't have a lot of people, you know, a lot of leeway on this. And, I mean, we always want to make these, give them a reason, give them an out. And I said, don't do that. Just just tell him what you want, make the case for it, and then be quiet. Interesting. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and we we actually train women to do that. And what, what we find when we do role plays with them is that we, don't, we are not clear about what we're asking for. And we have to practice coming out with it in some sort of a clear way so that the listener can understand what it is I'm asking. And we've got to be okay if the answer is no, because sometimes the answer is no. And we don't. sometimes we don't want to risk that. But the best way to do it is to practice. You can't just go in there. You've got to get your emotion out of it. That's another reason to practice. You've got to be clear what you're asking for, and then you've got to say it in a way that's friendly but firm, give some good proof points, so to speak, and then be quiet and ask for what you need. Mm -hmm. That's great advice, Jill. Um, and again, the practice. We hear so often about women's lack of confidence. And I know that there's yeah. an element of that in wanting to please and have everyone okay and not to ask. Why is women's lack of confidence still the case? You know, that is a great question. I, we have pondered that because sometimes and what we say to ourselves is, what we really do in our coaching and our training with women is we teach confidence and courage. And those mm -hmm. two things are linked. Um, for some reason, we are not confident in the business arena or just the professional arena. And some of it has got to be that we are outnumbered. And even in, um, even in professions where there are more women than men, most of the time men are still running it. They're still yeah. up. And, you know, running the hierarchy. So that's got to be one reason for the confidence uh, or lack of confidence. 
Um, we don't have a lot of role models. Um, and when you're trying to act differently, a little bit differently, for example, like the woman I was just talking about telling, you know, the CEO that uh -huh. she felt she was underpaid, um, it just feels, it can feel uncomfortable. So one of the biggest things that we focus on is helping build a cohort. Women need affiliation with other women. We need to feel like we're not the only ones, that we're not crazy, that we're not um, stepping out of bounds and asking for the moon. We need to yeah. feel like we are um, okay, okay doing this. So one way to do that is to have other women, colleagues that we can really be honest with not just to go have a glass of wine and all that, talk about your children, nothing wrong with that, we love, I'll do that, but you need a few female colleagues who you can go to. Yeah. And say, let me, I'm gonna, I wanna have this hard conversation with the CEO, let me practice with you, tell me what I can do differently. It's hard for us to see ourselves and to see the Im impact that we're having on other people. So if we can pick out a few colleagues that we can trust, they can do that for us and we can do that for them and it's you gotta have some girlfriends professional women who are your girlfriends that you can count on throughout your career to help you really important that's how Catherine Heath and I got um, we, we were there for each other for years and we finally of course hired a lot of other women uh, along the way which was great built our teams and had mixed men and women on our teams um, but it really, really helped to have a cadre of women that we could count on. I also hear many women, um, when we talk about asking and practicing asking, and I love that notion of sort of having your tribe that you can go and who know you're not crazy and who know what you're, you're struggling with in the organization mm -hmm. and in yourself to go to, because I hear many women still very concerned about looking aggressive or unfeminine if they are a certain yeah. asking. That's true, and and sometimes um, that's true. We, but that see, that's another reason we have to practice. Mm -hmm. and people don't like to practice, but if you're going to get good at, at these things, you've got to practice and um, get some feedback. And that's a reason why you need trusted people. I think there's definitely a double bind, a double standard for women um on this thing about being assertive um, yeah. i think in fact somebody a man that we interviewed when we were doing some of our research for we had a Harvard business review article published a few years ago about um about meeting behavior and behavior for men and women in meetings and and this topic came up about assertiveness and this man said it really well he said that the guardrails for women women have to stay within the guardrails and they're narrow Whereas men have, you know, a whole six-lane highway they can they can operate on in terms of behavior and mm -hmm. um, language and everything else, and women don't. We have a, a narrow we call it a narrow path. So um, there is some validity in that. We can't be overly demanding and bossy and all those kinds of things. Although bossy, as you know, is a word that is never applied to men, as we mm -hmm. noticed. Nor, um, nor, nor sharp-elbowed. I don't know that I've heard many men described as sharp-elbowed either. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Um, so assertiveness, we actually teach women about assertiveness and have them practice how they're going to respond in certain situations that are hard. 
Um, like for example, something that's really hard. We have one scenario that some people choose is you um, have had plans to go to a family reunion or family wedding or some family plans anyway, and your boss comes to you and says, I really need you to work the weekend. You know, we've gotten something has come up with a client and we really have a tight deadline and, and I really need you to work this weekend. Um, now, you would think that, that and, and it is actually pretty easy for most men to somehow say no in a nice way to that situation. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we have had women practice this and it is hard. It is so hard. And what they end up doing is they'll say, oh gosh, I'm so, so sorry. I've got a family thing and it's, you know, been on my calendar and I can't get out of it. And, but I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll go, but I'll be, I'll be available by phone. You can just call me all weekend. If you right. yep. Which of course defeats the whole purpose. So we work with women. Most women um, are afraid once they go out of their safe spot, their safe zone, they're afraid that they're being just terrible and horrible and too demanding and too assertive. And in reality, we've got a lot of room left where we're not going to be bossy and demanding and horrible. Nobody's going to think that. We've got a lot of room left if we will just be direct and clear and look for solutions. I mean, sometimes when people do this, they'll come up with a solution. I can't be there. And I, I know you wanted me, but I can have so-and-so be there for you this weekend. And, and I'm sure that'll work fine. I don't have any, any doubts that so-and-so can serve in for me. So there are answers you can give without being um, accused of, of being unfeminine. Mm -hmm. Now, let's be honest, though. There are some people who are so used to women keeping in our subordinate place that they are shocked when a woman seems to step out of line and be uh -huh. assertive. And sometimes you just have to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, and that's very situational, but you, sometimes you just, you can't, I mean, like there's a, an example where that I was mentioning about uh, women who have a certain role or certain client load or whatever. And in order to get promoted, they really need to do something different. Well, of course, their boss is not going to love that idea. For the mo most bosses like it because this person is really helping them and doing a lot of work and all that. So they're not going to be excited about the person taking another role or changing out. Um, so you just got to be willing to, like I say, to make um, make your boss feel good and appreciated. And I've learned so much, and I, it's time for me to, to move to something else, and I love your sport. So you, you find nice ways to make those transitions. And it's tricky. It's tricky for us. Yeah. It really is. And it's difficult. It's interesting you talked about uh, in one of your interviews for your research about the smaller guardrails. And that doesn't make women victims by any, by any stretch, but at the same time, we know that through our socialization and through our culture, there are different expectations of women's behavior. Can we talk about yeah. the issue of, it's related clearly, of women in power? We know people can be deeply ambivalent about powerful women, including women themselves, who can feel like imposters and struggle with what powerful professional behavior for a woman looks like. Can we talk about women in power, Jill? Yes, you have really hit on a tricky one. Um, you're right. We are very ambivalent 
about the word power and the idea of power. I was at a, um, a small local conference, uh, about 150 women a few years ago. And as part of the conference, uh, there was a, a topic and it was called power. Do women really want it? Uh -huh. And do you know that 150 women spent about two and a half hours in small groups talking about power? Do women really want it? Wow. And the answer was yes, yes and no. The answer was yes, we're ambivalent because we don't really like the word power. It, um, the associations are mostly somewhat negative, mm -hmm. being uh, manipulated and uh, authoritarian and blah, blah, blah. And yet we like to have, we are fiercely independent and like to have self-determination. So um, yes, you're right on the money. We, we are, um, the joke was at the end of the day, somebody said, do you think a group of 150 men, how long do you think they would take on the topic <laughs> of power? Do men really want it? <laughs> but you're saying changing beliefs, uh, you know, all of this is obviously a very complex cocktail and it makes navigating organizational life challenging for women. But what you're saying is that changing beliefs about yourself and the workplace will in fact change how you act and therefore how you impact as a leader. Correct. And we spend a lot of time with women about their beliefs mm -hmm. because what that little voice in your head is telling you is going to determine your um, attitudes and behaviors. So if you can get to the root of the belief, that, that's magic. Let me give you an example. Um, a few years ago, I was coaching a woman, fabulous, really impressive woman. She worked at a bank. And she was um, highly sponsored, and we'll, we'll talk about sponsorship and how important that is for women. But she had a number of people in the very in the executive level, the C-suite, who really, really thought so highly of her. Well, after a while, she was offered, her, her boss, who was head of human resources, got promoted and became the chief administrative officer for this financial institution. Uh -huh. And then approached her about becoming the head of human resources, and which would mean joining the C-suite team. And this person went through agony, total agony. Mm -hmm. And it was because her beliefs were, I'm not good enough, I'm not ready, I haven't checked all the boxes, I've only done these things in HR, I haven't done, you know, 120% of everything. And finally, I asked her, I said, have you ever heard of the imposter syndrome? And she said, no. And I said, well, that is actually um, a syndrome that's been researched, and it's where highly, highly accomplished people who've had great success start believing that they, that they will be discovered as a fraud mm. and that everyone will know and it will be embarrassing. And this happens a lot to people, a lot, actually a lot to women, but to people uh, like in, um, in the entertainment industry, movie stars and musicians and people who become famous quickly, uh -huh. they're often, um, slowed down by this imposter syndrome. And this is what she said, you've got it, you've got it, that's exactly what it is. I've got, I've got it, I don't belong there. I think they, I'm not ready, I'm not qualified. I think they will realize this and run me out of town, so to speak. And, and of course she realized when she was saying this, that this is not, this is crazy, but we're all crazy in our own way. <laughs> I always like to say, people are not logical, we're all psychological. Yeah. Um, but 
she turned it down. She could not get there. And um, I hope she will get there because she's still fabulous and wonderful. And I hope she will see her way clear. Uh, but she knows what she needs. I mean, she's working on her those inner voices, but she's got some really strong inner voices that are just telling her uh, that she's not, not worthy. That's very interesting. So, yeah. So mm -hmm. um, I guess, you know, it's related that there's this challenge when women are looking to uh, be promoted or to advance in their careers. What I certainly see is they continue to often over rely on their technical expertise, working harder and harder and harder and often avoiding mm -hmm. or even deriding visibility raising and political skills. So what are the new rules for women here, Jill? This is really important and it's at the heart of the work we do. What we tell women about, um, it's what you said is very true. Women are very much, they think their only value is their expertise. And we, we present this idea that there are multiple sources of power and we focus on three. One is your expertise. That's all your credentials, all your capabilities, all of the things that you do to add value to your organization. Another one is your position power, which is your business card. What's your title? Who do you work for? Mm -hmm. um, that a lot of women don't want to own that if you're a vice president at a large company or whatever, senior vice president, whatever you are, um, that's in itself is a big deal that gets you somewhere and people pay attention to, to those things. But the third type of power is what we call personal power and personal power is what do I get when I get you? It's your personality, your passions, your ability to influence, your ability to lead. It's all of those things that are not written on your resume and it's why we interview people. When we are interested, we see a resume and we see all the expert power and we see the position power on a resume, the titles and the responsibilities, but we don't know exactly what we're getting until we actually meet the person and chat with them and interview them. And that's when you can make your ultimate decision about, is this a person that I want to do business with? Is this a person that I feel can do well here? Um, is this a person that I want to help? see promoted. I mean, all the things that are important in business happen because there's chemistry between people. Mm -hmm. So um, we, we talk a lot about, this is sort of segue, but the part of personal power is coming off and being viewed as a confident person. So this is back to your question about confidence. We do a lot of things to make ourselves smaller and less because we're afraid of being too impressive. We're afraid of our own greatness, so to speak. We're afraid of our own power. So often the feedback that women get is, she's great, she's smart, she works hard, she's wonderful, but I'd really like to see her be more confident. She may or may not actually be confident, feel confident. I, I had a woman one time, <laughs> she had gone to Stanford, she was brilliant. She had talk about expert power, she had it. And her feedback said, you know, I just she just needs to show more confidence. She's really not confident. She just got so upset and said, ah, Jill, I am confident. What are they talking about? I don't even know what, they're, what they mean. And I said, well, we'll have to figure that out because something about the way you are showing up 
is making people come to the conclusion, and, and this was a lot of men that she worked with, so not to say that women wouldn't have come to that conclusion, but women do understand it a little bit more. Uh, women show confidence very differently than men do. So we figured out a number of things. One was she wasn't speaking up in meetings. Uh -huh. well, you can't do that. You have got to get your voice in the meeting. She just was smart and she thought, well, if, you know, these people are repeating the same thing. I'm not going to add to it. So she wasn't speaking up. She wasn't dressing in a professional manner, to be honest, and she didn't like that. But, you know, they judge you all sorts mm -hmm. of ways. And appearance, you need to look like a professional. You need to look like whatever it is, the, the leaders in your organization. Yeah. She wasn't letting people know, so back to what I was talking about earlier, she wasn't letting people know what um, types of things she was doing and what she was interested in and what she was achieving and, and doing that in a conversational manner. And um, just little things like that. Um, when she ran meetings, she wasn't letting people know ahead of time, you know, when to come and what the agenda was. Just, it sounds silly, but people expect when you're in a leadership position for you to act in a certain way and for your voice to be heard. I'm working with a woman right now who just got a huge promotion. And she, I said, well, tell me how you're going to... Um, move into this and she said, well, I'm going to go around and talk to all of the professionals because she's going to be running a group of like 400 people. Yeah. I'm going to talk to all the professionals, about 50 or 60, and find out what they think is already working, what's working well, what's not working well, etc. And then we had a long talk. I said, "You, she is very collaborative. She's exactly what you talked about, about she loves being number two. She likes being behind the scenes. She just likes making things work. She's very well liked. And I said, you're going to need to figure out a few things after you've talked to everyone that show that you're in charge because people, you're, all of a sudden, you're these people's boss. And believe it or not, they want you to act boss-like, not mean or nothing bad, but they want to know that you're in charge and you're taking the lead, that you have a direction, that you have expectations, and that you've got plans so they can get on board and follow you. So don't be so collaborative that they don't see that you're the leader. Yeah. And she, she totally got that. And so she's going to have to amp up a little bit in terms of just what she's comfortable with as far as providing leadership um, and getting her voice out there. Interesting. So, so she sort of shifted, reframed it as actually she does – she will be doing, you know, 50 real inquiry sessions. She'll be learning, but she also had 50 opportunities to build her reputation as a, as a professional. And so, yeah, what you're saying, we have to look like and sound like confident professionals because people want to have confidence in us around that level. So I'm wondering if we can talk about change then, Jill. We know change isn't easy and anyone on a leadership development path works with this challenge. Yet I find many women I worked with struggle with this notion of change, assuming that somehow they are changing who they are, that they're somehow compromising their authentic selves. Yeah, that's a great question, and we, we, we get it all the time, and it's, it's a dance. Um, we would never, ever want anyone to compromise their values, their integrity, who they, who they truly are. So that is not what we're talking about. 
Um, in fact, I always admire women because I think women are, are usually the ones that will stand up and speak up for uh, certain values that sometimes get forgotten. So it, it's really, really important to figure out what is non-negotiable for you. And usually it's the deep-seated things. It's, it's values, it's integrity, it's um, loyalty, it's things like that. And you know, all we can do is say to women, look, you're in, uh, you've chosen uh, this, this particular um, place, wherever it is that you, your career is, you've chosen this. And you need to get in it to win. We, we need for you to, to do well. We want you, all women need more women who yeah. are in powerful positions. So um, look, look at it from the standpoint, you, you have daughters, you're gonna, you know, I have daughters and granddaughters. You, you, women need other women. We need role models. We need women making a difference in our world. So if it means that I need to wear a jacket instead of a sweater to look more authoritative or that I need to talk more or if I need to get in a conversation where some people are a little bit uncomfortable because I'm speaking up for something, then so be it. You know, we can do these things. It's not, it, it, it's not that we're perfect at it. We do need to practice. But the men practice too. They, you know, they... They would make you think that they're born this way, but they're not. They, they've got certain leg up on us in the business world, but they practice too. They are very strategic. We need to be strategic too. So play to win. That's, that's my message. Play to win. Don't compromise yourself. But other than that, to make a few changes, that's, a, that's small potatoes um, in order to get to a level where you can really influence some outcomes and influence the quality of life for so many people. That are your followers. Great advice. You talk about the conditions in the workplace uh, in your book that support women's success, Jill. Uh, what are the conditions in the workplace that you see really supporting women's success? Well, one word, flexibility. Uh-huh. Um, and it can take all sorts of forms. Uh, and, and I will say this, th this is good news. All of the companies and corporations and uh, partnerships that we go into. So we do a lot of speeches as well as the actual engagements that we do for companies. Almost all of those, um, even though they still, most of them have male leaders at the top, they really want more women to do well in their company. They are pushing them. They, I mean, they are pushing them. They want them to be able to do well. So they are much more open to more flexible work arrangements. When women are in their 20, not their 20 so much, but maybe pushing 30, in their 30s in particular, and early 40s, yeah. when a lot of them have, you know, gotten married, having children or want to have children or whatever, and they have to travel, and it's just a lot of stuff there. Um, it's really important for companies to keep these women because they've already invested a lot in them, and they want them to succeed and to see a path to success. So they are doing a lot more with policies. They're doing a lot more with these employee resource groups. Those, those can be really helpful. A lot of them have women's initiatives. Um, so women can meet other women, realize that they have a lot in common, they can see role models, etc. 
Um, there's a lot of good stuff going on to support women. And it's because the men in charge really want the women to stay and, and not only survive, but thrive in their company. So yeah. Yeah, um, agree. it's, it's a two-sided yeah. thing. I think companies need, companies need to be flexible and women need to be flexible and willing to change our, ourselves a little bit. Everybody has to change themselves somewhat to go to work. I mean, yeah, you know. yeah, exactly. And I agree. I don't think there's a chief executive I've spoken to, male or female, in the last decade who isn't deeply frustrated that they can't bring their women into more senior ranks. So it's it's not about uh, the boys keeping the girls out. It's about us being really uh, mindful and uh, purposeful about the changes in our organizations and in ourselves. Jill, it's been such yeah. a pleasure speaking with you, such great wisdom for our listeners out there. Is there any final advice you would have for ambitious, talented women leaders? Yes, there's one thing we haven't talked about. You've alluded to it about the political savvy. Mm -hmm. um, anytime you're in an organization, I don't care what the organization is, anytime you're in an organization with human beings, you're going to have some sort of um, politics going mm -hmm. on. And we prefer to think of it as influence rather than politics, because politics is sort of a dirty word. Um, but one of the things that is strategic and political is that women need sponsorship. And what that means is you need somebody, this is not mentoring, this is um, somebody ahead of you in the organization who's got influence, and often this is men, um, sometimes it's it's women, which is great, but who knows you and who will use their political capital to open doors for you. Um, it's just like, like right now, I've got um, a niece and nephew, or a, anyway, that have just moved here, and they have relocated from Florida, and I'm, I'm doing what I call sponsoring them. Yeah. They have fabulous credentials, they've got a good work history, etc., but my um, role as their sponsor is I'm opening doors. I'm using my network of people to open doors so that they can at least be interviewed in good, good workplaces that they are interested in. Because if you let your resume sit, you know, it'll be one of 250 resumes and they, people, may, you know, people may or may not ever see it. That's right. So I can use some connections that I have to open doors. Well, it's the same thing in a company. If you get noticed by, and I, I, this happened to me when I was in uh, my corporate career in, in financial services. I didn't know it was called sponsorship, but I did some work with a couple of, I happened to be assigned to something and do some work with a couple of senior executives, male. They evidently liked what I did. They liked me. And they opened doors for me and got me some other, uh, got me introduced to other people, got me some good assignments, got me some opportunities. So that's what we're talking about. That's how the men do it. The men have been, they know to sponsor other men and they like to sponsor people like them, which is great. It's more of a challenge for us. It's harder because it's usually across gender, across age, sometimes across race. We have, we feel like, you know, I have women say, well, good grief. I'm 32. What, you know, how am I going to, get to know some 50 year old guy yeah, and it's, it is challenging, but you can do it. You can do it for sure. I mean, you're not going to go probably play golf and do all that kind of stuff, but there are ways that you can make sure that some people know you so that you can, um, I mean, you can't make somebody sponsor you. <laughs> yeah. You have to be chosen. 
for this one, but um, but you do need to have a higher profile so that the ch you're increasing your chances of sponsorship because that's the major way that people um, keep getting promoted up the ranks and then get into an influential role. That's really good advice and doing that quite purposefully. So it's very interesting when yes. you look at the research on women and mentoring, uh, women will often move and, you know, it sounds terrible we're using these gross generalizations, but this is all well uh, validated by research that women will often enter a mentoring relationship with the development hat on as opposed to a sponsorship hat on, whereas men will most clearly expect their mentor to be doing some sponsoring of them. So again, it's just changing that lens through which we look at those relationships. And it doesn't make them transactional or tacky because people love sponsoring great people. So you've got to tell them what, what you can do. Jill, thank you again. It's been great to meet you um, again. Thank you for thank taking the time. So much. Great wisdom for all of our listeners out there. Jill Flynn, author of Break Your Own Rules, How to Change the Thinking That Blocks Women's Path. Thanks, Jill. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Grit in the Oyster. Join me for our next conversation coming soon, available on SoundCloud and iTunes. And stay in touch, Penny at pennydevolt.com. <laughs>